Welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Richard Haynes, broker and realtor here at Manhattan Pacific Realty, soon to be rebranded to Haynes Real Estate. We've got a special guest episode for you here, July, summer 2023, with one of our favorites. He's an agent here, but also specializes as an estate planning attorney. On today's podcast, we are joined by the amazing Brian Palmer. Brian is a member of the California State Bar and has his own solo law practice here in Malaga Cove Plaza in Palos Verdes Estates. Brian specializes in trusts, wills, probate and estate planning, as well as landlord-tenant law and residential and commercial leases. He is also a realtor at our brokerage. He is a lifelong South Bay resident, born and raised in Palos Verdes, and happily resides in Hermosa Beach, California. We are so pumped to have Brian on the show. We talk about probate. We talk about wills. We talk about trusts. We talk about estate taxes. You guys, there is so much to learn here. Get your property and personal items with a will, and most importantly, a trust to avoid probate. Let's get into the show. We hope you enjoy. Brian Palmer, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Good morning, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first ever podcast, so it is a pleasure and honor to be on your podcast for my debut. Well, you already sound like a professional podcaster <laughs> right uh, now. Oh, man, that must be the coffee I just drank. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Well, thank you again for joining us. I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit up front through your eyes. So why don't you tell us before we get into the meat and potatoes of what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and professionally. I know you're a South Bay born and raised and also a family background in trusts and estates. So I'm going to give you the floor to, to share well, that with us. Thank you, Richard. Yes, I am a third generation Palos Verdean. I'm not even sure if that's the word you use, but I, <laughs> if it's not, we're going to start using yes. it. Yes. Which you are too, Richard, by the way. I'm a second Second generation. I, I thought your grandparents. They relocated from Ohio. My mom yeah, came here well, in second grade. It, 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 yeah, well, that in my book, that's third generation. Okay, okay, okay fair enough. Yeah, because then by your same standards, I guess I might not be quite third generation. My grandparents moved here in 1956 into Palos Verdes. Wow. My grandma is still alive. She's going to be 101 on August 8th. Amazing. And my grandfather passed away, but he was actually a trust attorney. And uh, he got this whole ball rolling as far as my family. So he was a trust attorney since the 1950s. And then he hired my dad in the early 1980s. So my dad is still practicing, Rob Palmer, Rob Palmer Law. So I'm the third generation. So that's how I got into this. I'm probably a little bit young to be a trust attorney. Definitely you're not going to see many in their 30s doing a solo practice. But that's my background, which led me to that path. And growing up around it and then, of course, being submerged in it. When I first graduated law school and passed the bar, I worked for my dad, and that's the only law I really learned and did. Anyway, I started my own solo practice, and I've just been building it up slowly from there. I'm also a real estate agent. In fact, Richard is my broker. Yes, full so, disclosure. And part of that, some of that background I was saying, growing up in PV, I'm actually in the same class as Richard. We're in the same graduating class. So I went to middle school and high school with Richard. So we go way back. Our families go way back. Richard's actually my broker. And what I'm trying to do with that, as Richard knows, is when I help my clients with trust law, so often real estate needs to be sold. Absolutely. And I'm trying to do it all in one house, handle not just the law, but the real estate all as one. So that's kind of where why I have my real estate license worth and where that's going. But um, really um, also do just a lot of law without the real estate. And that's going to happen a lot of times. It's not always going to be a house needs to be sold. So that's what I wanted to come on here today and kind of explain the trust and probate process. I love it, Brian. Perfect summary of everything. Mm -hmm. And what I love about having you at our brokerage and basically you as another service or, or vendor that we look to at Brian Palmer Law is that 
you're a South Bay guy through and through. You're a PV kid born and raised, but you live in Hermosa Beach. You play on the beach in Redondo and Manhattan Beach. And so you know the dynamics of the real estate market here in the South Bay intimately. And then you bring in the law background for clients where you can help set up trusts and put property into trust for them, handle their real estate. And then our agents here at our brokerage call you. You know I've called you on listings on the avenues and listings in Palos Verdes on deals in Manhattan Beach where I'm like, Brian, what do I need to get? And you're like, you need an affidavit of death of trustee recorded (laughs) and you need XYZ. Like you're such a valuable resource and the fact that you're bringing in real estate advisory sales along with your trust wills and estates. It's, I think it's a great thing, man. I appreciate you're it. You're unique to yeah, the I South I appreciate Bay. it. Well, lots of that real estate knowledge comes from you, Richard. So uh, I really appreciate all that, but it's just a great to work for Richard as a broker. And uh, so much of that knowledge comes from him and it is a really, really unique and, and happy marriage, I'd say. We love it. A very happy marriage. <laughs> and just as a side note, we'll get your contact information at yeah. the end so people can follow you. But Brian's a great follow on Instagram and know that he's a very talented piano player <laughs> let's not forget uh, that oh, okay well, i appreciate that well, we're gonna yeah. you're gonna have to give the people what they yeah, want on, yeah. on instagram playing for his 100 year old grandma at home <laughs> which is just awesome. that's where see. the piano is so yes. i never grew up with the piano but my grandma did so i'd go over to grandma's house and play piano that's still the case nearly 40 years later i'm 38 years old and you're he's really amazing you guys brian <laughs> played in high school for us he's played at friends weddings and in bands down by the beach back in in our 20s and you still play amazing i appreciate it i still appreciate it awesome palm well dude let's get into it yeah i go for the people that don't know i'd like you to give a general summary if you're meeting with someone for the first time because people commonly confuse wills and trusts and so since that's your area of expertise i'd love for you to give us a summary to kind of educate the beginners here and then we can get into more complex topics for our listeners who are interested in learning more details absolutely so it all kind of starts with like you said wills and trust and what's the difference well it really kind of starts with what's going on and why do we even need this and this is a, something that not a lot of people know about the people that tend to know about it had someone pass away in their family and they kind of dealt with it and they learned about it that way. If you didn't have a situation like that, most likely you've never even heard about it or know about it. And that's totally just fine. It's You don't really want to know about it, but you need to know about it. So when uh, it really has to kind of do with the laws of someone passing away and when they pass away, what happens to their property? There's other things too, like what happens to their body? Do they want to be cremated or buried? You know, what happens to your personal property? There's all sorts of kind of things to arrange. We'll slow it down and just kind of start with. So many people throughout history and even today, uh, pretty common, apps just do no planning before they pass away. And when that happens, you end up in what's called probate court. Now, probate, a lot of people have heard about it. What it is, it's a type of court. So just like you have criminal court, civil court, family court, bankruptcy court, one of the main pillars of a court system is also probate court. Probate does some other things too, but primarily what they do is when someone passes away, they transfer all their property to the correct beneficiaries and they, the, the court and the judge supervise that process. They make sure creditors get paid if there's creditors. They make sure the right beneficiaries get paid and everything goes about properly and fairly. So it's very supervised. So you go to probate court. Actually, of course, on that note, the person who passes away, of course, will be in the heavenly choir already. (laughs) So a personal representative of the estate has to go to probate, which is usually a family member. If there wasn't close family, it might be a really close friend or just the most proper person to maybe handle that. Sure. But anyway, so if you passed away and did no planning at all, it's funny because therefore you didn't create a document that says which beneficiaries should get what. So therefore, we actually turn to the law. The law has a built-in schedule of which beneficiaries get what in the event that you did not leave an instrument saying which one gets what. So let me just be clear before I describe that. Every person is free to give it to whoever they want. That would include a charity. It doesn't just have to be people. It can be any custom plan you want. 
But if you don't make one, you enter the default system. And that's mm. what we're focusing on right now. Got it. So this is called the, when you die w without a will or a trust in the law, it's called intestate. Yes. So you die intestate. So this would be dying without any kind of document. So this is who would get your money in that situation. These are known as your heirs at law because heirs at law means your heirs who would inherit in the event that you did not make an instrument. So if you're married, it's a lot of it's going to go to your spouse and that's going to be the main. That's most likely yeah. number one. Yes. If you have a spouse. So if you're married, your spouse is going to take all the community property. Now, if you guys had kids, the kids will get some and it depends how many kids you have. I won't get too into the, that detail, but if you did have kids and a wife, they will split what you leave. However, the, the spouse will get more. Now, if you don't have a spouse, it goes to your kids and it always goes in equal representation. So if you had three kids, they would each get one third. That leads me to my next point. If one of your kids passes away before you, God forbid, and let's hope not, but in that event, if that deceased child left children, which would be your grandchildren, mm -hmm. those grandchildren step into the deceased child or their deceased parents share. Got so it. let's go back to the thirds mm -hmm. and now let's say one of the, you had three kids, one of the kids passed away before you, mm -hmm. two survived. The child that passed away before you left three kids. Mm -hmm. Now those two children that survived, they still get their one third share. Yes. But for the one third share of the predeceased child, their children, the decedent's grandchildren step in to the decedent share. So now that one third is split into thirds. Of course. The three grandchildren split. Now you can imagine there's a lot of different examples with different numbers. Mm -hmm. What if there was two kids, four kids, one kids, right. but that the general principle stays the same is each generation is represented and their offspring in trust law, we call this issue. When you read a trust, you'll see the word issue all over the place. Issue means your kids and their kids mm -hmm. and actually their kids. It just means your direct lineal descendants, kids, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and so on. So issue have a lot of rights. Remember I said heirs at law. Those are the people that would have inherited if you did not set up anything. So when you do set up something, you actually, and sorry, I didn't finish the, we just stopped at kids. Usually that's where it kind of ends, mm -hmm. but say someone passed away, didn't have a spouse, didn't have a kid, then it would go to their parents. I was wondering this, their parents. If their parents aren't around, uh -huh. it would go to their brothers and sisters. Got it. With the same, by the way, represent, if, if one of your sisters is predeceased, mm -hmm. their issue would step into their share. And just their like kids, we, yes. So that would always ring true. Got so it. So now we go, if you left no siblings, your aunts and uncles, mm -hmm. if you left no aunts and uncles, it would go to your cousins. Got if it. you left no cousins, it would go to your cousin's parents. Wow. And I believe it would go to your second cousins. At that point, if you left no one, it actually goes to your in-laws. Now, this is assuming wow. you only have a spouse. If you don't have a spouse, forget the whole in-law stuff. At some point, if you left no living relatives whatsoever, mm -hmm. it goes back to the state. Wow. <laughs> now, that's really rare. Now, this is kind of the But that's a very rare Yeah, very rare. It's also pretty sure. rare to even get to your brothers or usually there's a spouse or a kid, yeah, but it does happen. To get to this is that, like this that. is that movie premise where, you know, your great uncle just passed away. You're one of the few survivors with a, a meeting with a lawyer and you get all sorts of money. Yes. It yes. does happen because some people on that note, some people don't want to set this stuff up for a variety of reasons for, it's not that much fun to talk about. Right. I didn't really talk about that before I started talking about it, but it's really not that fun to do. Obviously you're thinking about some morbid stuff. I know this stuff doesn't necessarily bother you too much, Richard. It doesn't bother me because yeah. I love like looking at my tax yeah. return yeah. at the end of the yeah. year. Yeah. We talk about it all the time, yeah. but it's really custom to each person and each person has their own kind of emotional state towards it. So of course. I definitely respect that for some people. This is a really, really hard conversation mm -hmm. and it should be, it is, and it's, it's totally hard. So, but people just never get around to it. They just don't even want to think about it for a variety of reasons. They don't make it. So you still see probates where there's intestate secession, which is mm -hmm. the whole schedule we just talked about, mm -hmm. which is by the way, in the, this is all in the probate code. Right. So the probate, it's, it's codified the probate code is what code. governs all this trust and probate law. And we're talking California <laughs> here because it's guided by the state absolutely. and it could be different if you're yes. listening out of state in another state. Thank you for reminding me mm -hmm. that this is absolutely California law. 
each state has their own unique sort of probate code mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of nuance with all this stuff. But there is a lot of general principles you're going to see state by state, but always consult an attorney in that state because there's definitely mm-hmm. unique nuance and you don't want to be missing any of that to create any problems down the road. I love it. I want to ask one more yeah. question on probate because I do want to move on to the trusts and wills portion just because I feel like here in the South Bay, the demographic is a little bit more, I would say, in terms of income levels, you would say it's above average or even kind of on the wealthier side. And oftentimes people have the means to plan for this. So I think a lot of our listeners want to hear more detail on wills and trusts, but the background on the probate is fascinating with the great uncle and everything. But the one question I have is, if you go to probate, which we still see in the South Bay, there are properties that go to sale with confirmation with sellers or estates that died intestate. What are the fees generally associated? Because what people talk about a lot is if you don't have a will, trust in place, or a will in place, excuse me, we're not talking about trust yet. Generally, what are the fees? And I know it's complicated and it takes a while. I'll let you explain. No, it's, yeah. So that's absolutely a great point. Thank you, Richard, because we were talking about uh, who gets what, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of it. But the other huge part of it, like you said, is just the cost. And that's what's really um, kind of what drives not just South Bay residents, but almost most people to get a will or trust is just how astronomical the costs are of probate compared to a trust. So back to probate for a minute. You, so we, we talked about who's going to get what. Now, that's assuming you don't have a will, though. I was mm-hmm. talking if, if you left zero documents. Right, zero documents, Now, document, sure. you might lead, this kind of leads into an earlier question, which will also re, re be your last question, of what happens with the difference between a trust and a will. So with a will, the big difference is if you make a will, you get to determine who gets what rather than the intestate succession schedule we just talked about. However, a will is still subject to probate. To probate. Yes, yes, it goes in front of a yes, judge to yes, read it, analyze yes. it, make sure that that is so distributed this properly. This is a different kind of probate. The first one we talked about was with no will. That would be what they call an administrative probate because the personal representative is the administrator. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about you just left a will. So in this... And you, you're still in the probate court with You're still will. in probate court. Mm-hmm. And you have to initiate, by the way, you know, court fees and court costs, but... With this, with the will, you get to decide who gets what and you leave that default schedule we were just talking about with the closest heirs at law. Sure. However, you're still subject to probate, which means the probate fees you ask about. So you still get probate. So thank you for clarifying that for listeners because just because if you leave nothing, you go to probate court. If you have a will, you still go to probate court, which will, the third step will be trust, which we'll get to later. There is a little bit of an exception we'll get into when we talk about trust, but yes, so- People that just set up a will, Mm -hmm. depending on the value of your estate, which we'll get into a minute, but if you just set up a will, that might not be great estate planning because you might still end up in probate court. Got it. Now, it is better because you decide who gets what. You get to make your own custom plan, but you're going to pay these costs and fees, and that's what we really want to avoid. So, So much of my practice and my family's practice is avoiding probate for our clients because probate works a lot like real estate, actually, where it's a commission slash percentage of the overall value of the estate, that's how much they're going to calculate your probate fees and your probate costs. So it's actually set in the probate code. You can look at the exact schedule. It's actually Mm -hmm. pretty unique. It tapers off. It starts with like 4% of the first 100,000. Wow. um, And then it, it tapers off from there. But really... It's kind of a tricky schedule, but it's really simplified if you just figured it's between 5 and 6%. Mm-hmm. A probate's going to be between 5 and 6% of the total value of your estate. Now, that means all your assets combined, but that's a little tricky how they combined assets because probate will only probate assets that are subject to probate. And we have a lot of assets that we all own that aren't subject to probate. Interesting. And the biggest reason why is this very important concept known as beneficiary designation. And beneficiary designation means, let's just talk about your typical bank account, or if you have a stock account that you invest with, Mm -hmm. or a brokerage account, whether it's owned with Bank of America, Citibank, Chase, Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, American Funds, any of those institutions... When you set up an account with them, everyone knows this, you put beneficiaries on sure. them. Sure. Those beneficiaries are entitled to that account. 
Mm-hmm. Now, each asset's different. You can put different beneficiaries to different accounts if you wanted. So right. you look at each one individually. Those beneficiaries are going to inherit what's in that account, and it's not subject to probate. So anytime you designate a beneficiary to an asset, it will avoid probate. In other words, that beneficiary automatically inherits what's in there. Got it. So back to kind of with probate, they're going to add up all your assets that are subject to probate, AKA don't have a beneficiary attached. So there's definitely other examples, but the main culprit with that is real estate. Because actually, as you know, Richard, there's a lot of different types of title in real estate though, where the surviving owners actually automatically inherit the decedent's interest. Now we're talking about co-ownership, of course. Mm -hmm. And like with your husband and wife, you Mm -hmm. have community property with rights of survivorship or you'll see joint tenant a lot. Yes. Joint tenant means co-owners. In both those situations, we'll start with the spouses. The spouse will inherit, if you had community property with rights of survivorship, if one spouse passes away, the surviving spouse automatically inherits the decedent's interest, the spouse that died's interest without probate because of the way title was taken. However, that only gives you one layer of protection. That's just the first spouse. If you don't change the title upon the second spouse passing, that would be a classic probate because there's nowhere, there's no direction, whether a beneficiary or a type of title that tells us where this is supposed to go. Therefore, we must turn to probate court. And by the way, I never said probate really what it is mostly. It's a court supervised process to get rid of assets and get them to the right people and make sure creditors are on notice and aware and get paid back if there is a creditor issue. Got it. So anyway, with joint tenants, the surviving joint tenants automatically inherit, let's say a joint tenant passed away and there was three of them, the other two automatically inherit the decedent joint tenant's interest without a probate. So it's a little bit tricky and complicated, but when the key point is when you're talking about probate, it's not just black or white where the whole estate goes in or the whole estate doesn't go in. You can actually take care of a lot of your assets and they'll all avoid probate. You might've gotten sloppy or lazy or forgotten to- Put something in the will. Yes, Mm -hmm. so sometimes you'll just have one asset or a few assets that Mm -hmm. are subject to probate. So with good estate planning, you don't wanna leave anything subject to probate. it's just handled. Because then you Mm -hmm. avoid the courts and it's a lot cheaper, and we'll get into more about that payment in a second, but it's a lot cheaper, but it's also so much easier. And you don't have to probate. The fastest probate would be nine months, and that means everything goes perfectly, everyone's mm-hmm. completely on the ball, and there's not one little slip up anywhere. Right. And that is very rare. Even under a year, you'd be patting the attorney and the personal representative on the back. They were on the ball and just crushed it. A lot, if there's hiccups or delays or someone goes on vacation, has to mm-hmm. wait till they get back to sign or life goes on with other, life gets in the way, easily can take a year and a half. Some take over two years, three years. Those are ones that have challenges and problems, but you want to avoid the length and the money. So like back, so- But you talk, yeah, five to six percent. Yeah, five to percent, but I just wanted to time. clarify that when we add up your estate, those are just the assets that are subject to probing mm-hmm. we're adding up. Mm-hmm. All those assets that have a, de- a beneficiary designated to them, they would not be included into the value of your estate. So you will add up your probate. And I also want to be clear, if there's any lending or like, let's just say with a house, there's a mortgage on mm-hmm. it. And let's say it's worth $2 million and you have a $500,000 loan mortgage owned. The court doesn't look at that like $1.5 million in equity. That's a $2 million asset. Got it. So, so then you get charged fees yes. on that asset, so even will, though it's not yes, fully equity. They will never put it in it. That's not just for housing. That's it's any asset Stocks, you own that. Yes. There's people that have Car margin loans. loans. Mm-hmm. Everything is the total value of the asset. And that's before any of yeah. the, oh, what do a, you actually a own? A business could be worth $10 million, but it has $5 million in you know, you property go. plan co- so, you know, equipment loans. So the, sure. number, so the numbers can add up quicker. Now, with the probate, figure 5 and 6%. Now mm-hmm. we're talking of all your assets combined that are subject to probate. Mm-hmm. We, we excluded all the ones that aren't. And we want, hopefully, you don't have any subject to probate, but people do. We add those up. If those exceed in total... 184,000, actually technically $184,500, okay. then you're subject to probate. In other words, if your one asset or your combined asset fall under that 184,000, mm-hmm. that is excluded from probate. It's, it's called a small estates probate, meaning it's so small in value, we're not going to do the full blown resources of the court 
and take all this time. But if they are over, you are subject to probate. Now, probate, there's three layers of cost. Mm -hmm. To get to this 5 and 6%, there's mm -hmm. three layers. You have the court fees and the court cost. To initiate a probate, you know, you got to file it and mm -hmm. you have to pay the court. And there's going to be court costs throughout the process that there's also you have to pay an attorney. Now, you could do it yourself. I highly advise. Nah, it. we're yeah. not even going to talk yeah, about that. You don't need an attorney. <laughs> you but should it, it, hire it, an this attorney. This is hard enough for an attorney. It'd right. be crazy not to. Talk about probates that end up taking a lot of time. I mentioned the ones that go two, three, four right. years. There'd be a lot of stuff that could potentially happen there that could easily delay it all mm -hmm, over the place. Mm -hmm. And then the personal representative I keep mentioning, that's going to be either the close family member or a close friend. They also get paid. They get paid what the attorney gets paid, believe it or not. Interesting. So now I do want to give the caveat, those fees I'm talking about, the personal representative getting the attorney gets, they're set by schedule in the probate code. They're mm -hmm. codified. They're law. But those are the maximum fees. An attorney can always do a discount, always take a deduction, whether it's for a family member or someone with a, you know having a hard time with expenses in their life. You can always go down, but Got those it. are the maximum. So let's just say you have a $2 million house. You didn't put it in trust and title is, is not going to help. We talked about joint right. tenants and if you're a spouse. So let's talk about if it, you just pass away and you didn't do it, take care of any of that. You have a $2 million house. 6% of $2 million... Let me see here. That would be Sergio, if you don't mind. It's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Is it one hundred and twenty? Yes. One hundred and twenty. Thank you. It's and you could be, have six if you have to sell it with realtors, and it's a five percent total fee plus one percent escrow title. That's another six percent. So you could be paying two hundred and forty thousand dollars in fees for attorney and realtor escrow title court costs on $2 million. What if Absolutely. What if you have a million dollar loan on that $2 million exactly. house? Now you can see how exactly. that gets chipped away exactly. very quickly. So, and I'm sorry you brought up the selling the real estate part mm -hmm. because that's often a cost that's not really, people don't forecast, but mm -hmm. absolutely need to. Sure. But absolutely, so you figure if someone has a $2 million home, they're gonna spend $120,000 just to transfer title. That's yes. really all the probate is. That's incredible. And I told you, it's probably gonna take over a year to do. Now, with a trust, because the trust is how you completely get out of yeah, probate. Yeah, so are we moving on to the yes, trust now? Yes, So let's go here. This is what you recommend to clients. You just gave them a great background on if you die in test state without a will, or even if you have a will, how you still have some incredible expenses, especially if you own a home or homes yes. or investment property yes. in the South Bay, how expensive it can get, and why you recommend trust. So yes. explain to us how a trust with a will or yeah, just how it absolutely. all works. So finally, now we're kind of bringing it all back home and you really want to have that probate understanding though to understand all yes, this stuff. Yes, absolutely. That's where you'll end up because remember, that's the default system. Mm -hmm. So now we're trying to get a ways to, to get out of that. Mm -hmm. I already mentioned, um, you know, you can do it with beneficiary designation. Right. And there's also ways to hold title of an asset which automatically passes it to a beneficiary. Right. But now the best thing to do is set up a trust because a trust... When you set up a trust, you completely avoid probate for any asset in the trust. Now, trust designate beneficiaries. We'll get into that. But when you put an asset into trust, you're not subject to probate. And that's the biggest thing. So it makes my family's job and my job and any estate planning attorneys out there job kind of easy because the math is so upside down. You could set up a trust for a few thousand dollars and completely get out. Let's just say it's a million dollar house. That was still what a sixty thousand dollar sure, fee. Yeah. Two million. So it, it just you can see how it, it's still expensive, even if it's a half million dollar house. That's still a thirty thousand dollar probate. Now that's assuming everyone, you know, takes the full amount. But so really when you set up a trust, not only do you get to avoid probate, but like I was talking about earlier, you get to avoid the laws of intestate succession and you get to set up exactly who gets what when they get it, how they get it. You get so much control. Some actually control, call it control from the grave. I was just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you're yeah. controlling yeah. your beneficiary. Yeah. And there's so many more trusts out there than people realize. Like, for instance, the Lakers are owned by a trust. Dr. Jerry Buss, the, the true owner, he was thinking, how am I going to pass this on to my kids? How am I going to keep it in the family? He put the Lakers in a trust. Now, that's a very complicated trust that has voting rights and right. all sorts of scenarios, If uh, not just if someone passes away, but 
fighting between the kids, which has already happened. If you Google, there's been plenty of petitions basically between the kids. And those are all, you know, those are all matters of trust law. So one of the kids came after Jeannie because she's kind of the main trustee and she has the most control. They were trying to remove her as trustee because that was the legal theory for them to regain control of the team. So it just goes to show you there's so many more trusts out there and they can be so complicated. But most people, we just put our real estate in there and we decide who gets what. Now, that will completely avoid the probate fee. So you get out of the cost mm-hmm. and the time and any of the, just the time is money yeah, all the, the time. Craziness yeah, the craziness of, of probate get, court. So if a trust is organized and everything's on the ball, when someone passes away, you can have that property transferred and everything taken care of in a matter of weeks, as opposed to, you know, I've seen it as fast as about two weeks if everyone is, now I always let my clients grieve and that always comes first everyone's different. Some Mm -hmm. people, part of their grieving is doing this stuff. Right. So some of my clients, let's just do it right away. Some I don't hear for about six months, but there's not really a right way to do it. But the point is, is when someone does pass away one way or the other, there's going to be some sort of legalities involved, whether it's probate, wills, or trust. So though with the trust though, like we talked about, you could set it up for very inexpensive compared to the cost of probate. And then that's going to give you all sorts of control. So the trust governs whatever assets you put into the trust. Sure. And the trust is going to say this asset, how it's managed and how the funds to it are, who the funds are for and how they're managed, you know, basically from here on out, not just when the trust door passes away, but also during their lifetime. So the trust door, by the way, is who sets up a trust. Mm-hmm. And I really should start with that. A trust is a triangle of three different people or three different parties, three different parties. Right. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's a better way to put it. So the first one would be the owner. And you see that a lot. That's what I call the trust door. Mm-hmm. Some trusts call that the set law or the grantor. They're all synonyms. They're all the same. I call it the trust door. That's who owns the property. That's who sets up the trust. That could be, by the way, multiple people. It could be a married couple. That trust will always, the owners will never change. It's always their property, their trust. Now, it will even continue the trust after those owners pass away. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the main points. The next will be the trustee. You hear that term a lot. The trustee is who controls the trust, who has the legal authority to invest, withdraw, pay out. They have a ton of authority and a ton of discretion how to manage the assets. Should we sell the house? Should we invest in stocks? Mm -hmm. You're appointing someone. Now it's all for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Now the trustee could be multiple people. You can have co-trustees. So this person or these people decide how to invest. However, their main job, other than this discretion, is to follow the terms of the trust precisely which is a contract. A trust is a type of contract. They have the highest duty under the law, a fiduciary duty, the trustee, to follow the terms of this trust precisely. If they don't, they're subject to a lawsuit by the trustors, the owners, if they're still alive. Mm -hmm. Now, often the owners will pass away and that's when the trustees gain control. So really who they're more subject to lawsuits more frequently is the beneficiary. Which is the third party of the trust. Trustor, trustee, and beneficiary. Now, they're not in control of it if they're not the trustee. So the trustee has to do a, a fiduciary duty, like I said, which means a perfect job. Very transparent, completely fair. I tell my clients, what would Jesus do? That's why. <laughs> that's how I like my trustees to act. I want them to be perfection. Yes, we're striving for ten of ten here. Yes. So anyway, though, now sometimes though you might have one person who's all three of those parties at first. So I set up a trust. I'm mm-hmm. the owner. I'm the current trustee and manager of my trust, and the trust is for me during my lifetime. The beneficiaries would be when I pass away, they would step in. Mm-hmm. So you can be multiple hats. Often a trustee will also be a beneficiary. Beneficiary, sure. You like see you could be one lot. sibling you of three children. Lot. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So anyway, now in the trust, it will ultimately say, now the big thing, we're avoiding probate and who gets what. You can come up with any custom plan you want. You can do equal shares to all your kids if you have kids. I could leave 90% to one friend, 10% to another. I can leave 50% to a charity, half of what's left to the rest of my kids if I have them. If not, my brother, my brother's kids. By the way, you can change this throughout your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So just because someone's set to get something now, these trusts and all these documents can be amended. So when you amend it, just because you were in one doesn't mean you're ultimately, it's the last trust when someone passes away 
That's the key one. And you also mentioned to me, you can have sort of passive amendments that kick in because I go, Brian, what if I'm not done having children? I don't want to drop my trust because I have two boys. What if I have a third? They're left out of the trust. And you can go, no, Richard, you can just write in. You can, All children you, share equal amounts I, depending on how yep, many you have. So you can put mechanisms absolutely. in, so to speak. Absolutely. I do that all the time. You can write in not just your current kids, but your future children. Mm. They'll all take an equal share. So if you have two kids currently alive when you make the trust, they're each going to get a half share, right. half the trust. Now, if you add a third or if you have twins, let's say, the four, that will now become, if in the one child example, now it's going to be a third. So mm -hmm. you have three kids. With the twins, now it will be each a quarter share. Of course. So you can actually write in future children. I do that all the time for our friends, um, clients my age that are still – and even if you just have a chance of having kids – if you don't have them, it's no harm, no foul. It's just if you do have them, you don't have to come in and formally amend an entire trust and spend the money, by the way. It allows you to just not have to come back in, save some money. So we've been doing this since the 1950s. There's a bunch of places you can do those sort of things. It, when your client changes their mind on something, save them time and money from having to come in, formally amend their trust, formally amend their will, and they can just kind of do it on their own. So we do like we do that with cremation, for example. You might change where you want your ashes to be spread if you're gonna put cremation in there. We don't want you have to come in and amend your whole will just over that issue. We'll allow you to, we'll reference a letter of instructions, which allows you to do that on your own outside of the document to avoid those sort of things. Okay, got so it. So that comes in all the time. Now, when you say future children, well, that means our friends, you have minor children, young children. Mm -hmm. So, so much of what we set up a trust about is why I don't love these meetings. It's kind of all the things that can happen. Yeah, it's a little morbid. Yeah. What happens if you get hit yeah. by a bus tomorrow? Yeah, exactly. How do the kids get taken care of? Who's their guardian? When do they get the money? Because some people go, I don't want them getting all this money at 18. Exactly. They're not mature enough. They don't know what to do. Or do they need to meet certain yeah. hurdles yeah. with life? You and, know. And things. I'm happy that 18 came up because mm -hmm. Richard, another advantage to a trust, and we'll get right back into what we were talking about though, is with back to probate for a second, if you're no one does anything and you just have your heirs inherit, like I mentioned, whoever that heir is will get the lump sum of what they're owed at 18. Wow. And the court will have no interest in doing any follow-up. The court is already tied up enough. They don't have time to, you know, supervise to make sure the money wasn't blown and other mm -hmm. to make sure it went to a good cause. It becomes that beneficiary's money and they can do whatever they want right. with it. No one can stop them mm -hmm. at 18. With your back to beneficiary designation, with all your accounts, why you might not want to just have a beneficiary on your account with no trust involved, same thing. When they become 18, they get the lump sum, which could be millions if it's a wealthy family. Mm -hmm. That's a scary thought for an 18-year-old to come into that much money at Absolutely. once. Absolutely. I know if I was 18, it's a terrifying thought. <laughs> I, I can't speak for everyone. And by the way, if they're a minor, the court would have to find a guardian to hold that money for the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So like if they're 16, not 18 yet, they'll give it to their parent or something, but that can get murky. Perhaps the parent spends it more on themselves and shields right. the money away from some kids. So this is the kind of stuff you want you can avoid with you a trust, not just probate. It. So with a trust, when we have minor children, almost all my clients elect to not give them any money when they're 18. Mm -hmm. They're gonna wait until usually, now this is all depends on the kid and the family and you can change this. Some kids need more time, some need less. Right. This is just what you see in and general course, over a lot and of clients. This is assuming you pass away early. This is the whole point of this conversation is the parents pass away early at what age do the kids inherit the money? Because mm -hmm. if the parents didn't pass away early, the kids will keep aging and they'll get it when the parents eventually pass away when they're grown adults. Mm -hmm. So this is only assuming you kind of pass away unexpectedly before you plan to. Now, if you're married and leave a spouse, it will all go to your spouse. He or she will have the money for the kids. So this is if you're married, assuming both spouses dies, or if you're a single parent or you don't have kids and you just pass away individually. But in that situation, you don't want the kids to get it when they're 18. So we see most wait till they're 25 and we see what's called a staggered distribution. So they'll do one third of the balance of the assets or half of the balance of the assets at 25, mm -hmm. then maybe the rest when they're 30. Sometimes half of what's left at 30, then the rest at 35. You can do whatever you want. Some people feel like wait until 35 might be too long to get all the money because mm -hmm. you can imagine if that kind of prevents you. Now, 
Keep in mind that money is to be spent on you during those years. This is just the age you outright get it. So Mm -hmm. when you do a trust, it's for the benefit of someone. If they don't inherit that money because they're not old enough or it's a special needs situation, they have a disability and there's a special reason they don't get that money, the money is still for their benefit during that time. This is just the whole time, in fact. This is just the time when they actually get the money handed over to them. Mm -hmm. So the trustee would be spending that money on their behalf for their benefit during that time. This is just when they actually get it. And of course, if you have beneficiaries that aren't so young or don't have special needs, then that's what we call an outright distribution. They would just get all the money or the asset handed over at once without an outright distribution. Got it. Fascinating. And I will say, I mean, there's things you probably have to design where what if, you know, let's say you're a married couple and one spouse passes away. Well, can the trust be amended or does it always stay with those children? Because I've actually sold a property where it was a his and hers type scenario. There was no will or trust. One of them passed away. The other spouse didn't like the his or hers children and ended up writing a trust and a will to go to all of their children. And so there's some designs there too where, man, what if everything's great and you pass away unexpectedly early and then you go, what happens to my kids? Do they get written out of a will or a trust 20 years from now and get nothing? So I think there's a lot of interesting, we don't need to get into those details, but how important and detailed some of this planning really is. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, I brought that up, Richard, because that's like critical to state planning and those sort of situations. But you're absolutely right is in your generic trust, if now we're, of course, we're going to talk about a married couple trust because Mm -hmm. you could always do a separate property trust, which is an individual trust. Even if you're married, you could still do your own separate property. Sure. Of course. And you see that a lot, but to go back to your point, absolutely. So in, in the generic married couple trust, when the first spouse passes away, the whole goes to the surviving spouse, as they call it. So that's the default. Now, if that surviving spouse gets remarried or has more kids, can they cut out the original kids they had with the first spouse? Absolutely. There's nothing stopping them. Mm. It becomes, that's the whole point of when you get a gift, whether you're a beneficiary or part of a co-trust and you take over the trust, it always becomes outright your property. You can do whatever you like with it. No one's stopping you. Which is interesting. Wow. So you're always trusting that they will do the right thing, take care of the kids. Even Mm. if they remarried or met new kids, they'll still take care of your kids maybe do a new trust with their new spouse. Right, and that can be something that can be written. Yeah, but now you can also, what you might be seeing or referring to, you can make a trust. Now this again, just family trust. This has to do with married couple trust. Mm -hmm. When the first spouse passes away, half the trust locks. And it's kind of splits the community property up in between the spouses. So at least half of it locks and can't be changed by the surviving spouse. Got it. So that would be typical for a married couple that each has kids from a prior, they can each protect their own kids Mm -hmm. and make sure their new spouse wouldn't inherit the whole trust, rather just half the trust. Right Now that surviving spouse can still change half the trust as they please, Mm -hmm. but not the whole. We see that when they want to leave to different beneficiaries. And that used to be a big tax advantage to do it that way. Mm-hmm. You used to have to set that up for tax. We haven't talked much about taxes on this. That's a whole nother yeah. podcast yeah. episode. Yeah, That's just as important as all the stuff we've been talking about. So I didn't want to get too into the some of the strategies and step-up basis and property. There's so much to talk about. But I do want to briefly talk about estate taxes. Okay. Because everyone goes, okay, when you pass away, I've been talking about Someone's going to get gifted money through an inheritance, whether it's a probate beneficiary or a trust beneficiary. So do they pay taxes? Yes, you are subject to taxes, but they're so high that almost certainly every person you meet will never be subject to them. Now, this is all subject to change. This mm-hmm. is uh, California. Congress yes, can vote yes, something and yes, exactly. the president so can you'll see it. it. We have a presidential election coming up. You'll probably see it talked about, either eliminating it or depending on what side they're on or if on the other side, making it a higher tax. But either way, it's gone up. It's very high. So right now, it's up to almost 12.9 million per individual 
before your tax. So basically, yeah. if someone's estate is lower than $12.9 million, it will be tax-free. Yes. Earlier when we did the probate, we were just talking about your assets subject to probate. Now for your estate, we're talking about all your assets. Mm -hmm. This is not a probate issue. This is an IRS and franchise. So now we're talking federal yes. taxes. So mm -hmm. they're going to get all your assets together. Same thing as earlier. doesn't matter if you own a mortgage or half the business is financed on loan. Mm -hmm. They're just going to look at the total values without that. They're going to add them all up. Oh, by the way, this includes life insurance. So if you left a fat life insurance policy to some loved ones, that will be added. Whatever it's paying out will mm -hmm. be added in the gross of the estate. Got it. Now, so you get 12.9 million of shelter is what they call it. Mm -hmm. So anything over that, you're subject to the probate. If you're under it, now, when you're married, another wonderful advantage of getting married. I wanted to stress, you know, in law, there's things we want as a society. You learn these in law school. So we're going to favor the law towards things we want as a society. And this is called, you know, uh, policy arguments, or we mm -hmm. make laws to help these things. Right. One of the things we really want in society is people to get married. Marriages. And we want offspring. <laughs> One of the best yes. tax planning yes. strategies yes. there we, is. We is want people married. to get married, have kids. Keep America strong. Uh, we need to compete against uh, Russia, China. Uh, you know, uh, as a government, these are things we're trying to do on a mass scale. Mm -hmm. So we do make tons of laws that help married couples because we want people to be married and we believe in it as morally. So anyway, when you're married, you get to double up that 12.9. So it becomes so almost going about 25 million. million. Now, anything over that, you're subject to a tax. People come to me and ask about that stuff. I'm really not the best attorney for that. I do much more volume, your run-of-the-mill mm -hmm. trusts that are much under that. If you're very, very wealthy and in that lucky position or things went really well for you, you probably should consult a more specialized tax attorney. Tax attorney yes, and CPA. That's a high tax. People right. don't realize it's about a 40% clip or anything over that, you know, almost 13 or almost 25 million, almost right. 26 million. So you're, there's ways to help. And that's minimize. where you get into charitable remainder trusts, which again is a whole nother. LLC. Yes. I mean, there's a, there's a whole. And, there's a way to yes, avoid so, it all. And you know, some people might just want to pay that tax depending on your, uh, depending on your political. I have one client who's over it and he doesn't want to do any special planning. He's yeah. just happy to pay the he tax. He just goes so pay the tax and it is what it is. To each their own, right? Yeah. I, I just saw a documentary on Benjamin Franklin this weekend and I was reminded of the very very famous quote of all we're certain in this life is death and taxes. And taxes, sure. And well, and, and political beliefs, you mentioned, I watched a great documentary on Andrew Carnegie, not Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie is how it's pronounced. They say common misperception, but he donated all of his wealth and his offspring got very, very little because he didn't believe in going, hey, you should inherit massive amounts of wealth. He went, hey, go out and make it or here's enough to there live. You go. And he has all of these universities there and you go. charities named after yeah. him. So it, it, I think it's, and again, it's everyone's right yeah. to plan how they want to. Now, Palmer. And, but, and you know what, Richard, too, though? Yes. On that note, too, though, that was a more noble example of someone using charity the way it's intended. Sure. You can also use charity in a more twisted way. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I see foundations yes. set up all the time that are and still buying property on the Strand in Hermosa that yes. family members get to use. And, and the family the members are probably foundation. on salary in that. Yes. So, so. That could, yeah, so not to be cynical because I'm all for charity. I just sure. want I just want people to be aware of that, that it's not... Nowhere when you're putting your money in certain charities, some are more just tax vehicles. Some mm. are very noble. That's another conversation for another day. We but. maybe have like three or four podcast fo yeah. follow-ups <laughs> on these topics. But Palm, I want to talk to you because we're running out of time yeah. and I feel like we have so much we could yeah. still talk about. I want to ask just a couple quick questions yes. for listeners that I think would be common questions after they've learned so much about the probate code, wills, and trusts. I want you, again, this is bringing it back down to beginner level, give people ideas of common assets that are, are dictated by the code or wills or put into trust. Obviously, we've talked about real estate. You just brought up insurance can be put in a trust rather than your name. Yep. I know people go, I have big stock accounts or 401k retirement plans. Are there other assets or ideas that you can give people like art or collectibles or Jewelry, what are things? Just give us like a five to 10 list of assets that you see people Absolutely. put into well, trust. You brought up personal property. Mm -hmm. So, we've been talking mostly about real estate and big financial accounts. Mm -hmm. So, personal property is 
everything else. Now, a financial account actually is personal property, but we treat it differently because of the beneficiaries. But you either have real estate, which is known as real property. Mm -hmm. That's where you get that. And then everything else is personal property. So that would be your car, your tools, your art, your jewelry, your clothes, every possible thing you own. Now, those all get passed away too. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's very valuable or very sentimental to the family, we can make a special plan. Usually for your personal property, we just do kind of a generic clause because you can imagine how redundant and tedious that would get to do everything. But if you do have one thing that's very, or a couple things that are very valuable or sentimental, we can make a special arrangement for that. Because, you know, if a perfect example is a mother who has two or three daughters and she passes away, well, there's one awesome wedding ring or there's one yes. valuable diamond ring. You can't split up a ring yes, three ways between like three daughters, estate. sure. So what they try to do is offset the cost. Well, you follow the schedule if it's all equal or you can write my favorite daughter gets the ring or the <laughs> oldest daughter, however families want to do that. So you do that. You can definitely put in things like art you mentioned, mm -hmm. but we only do that when they're really valuable because sure. the probate code and what needs to be all the stuff, it goes by value, right. just like real estate does. So a piece of art may mean so much to you personally, but it's not very valuable. We could still make a special plan for that because what it means to you, who you want to get it. But we do have to make a plan for like antique cars or special, if you have special, special valuables, we, and those could be subject to probate because that is an asset over, remember the 184 I was talking about. If you have a car over 184,000 and there's no beneficiaries on title, which I'm sure there's not, that's got to be probated. So that leads me to a follow-up question is going, let's say you're 80 years old and you have your trust and your will set up and you were never into cars, but now that you're retired and you've maybe made a good amount of money and you start becoming a car collector at 80 and over the course of five years, you pick up five cars and you have it in a garage or you built something on your property and at 85, unfortunately you pass away, but those cars weren't put in the trust. What I'm hearing is, and let's say they're expensive cars, they're collectible cars, you would have everything in your trust be dictated by the trust, but those cars, if they were just in your name individually without any direction, that would go to probate. Is that correct? So, so that would, so you're saying yeah. yes. Can you write things into your trust going things of value that are personal property that maybe aren't added? Yes. They go, get added in if there's nothing and then split up. So is there a way to avoid that? mistake, so Absolutely. to speak. Absolutely. That's a unique, but if you have very, very valuable valuables, whether it be art or cars mm -hmm. or there's a million things you can imagine. Sure. Yes. In those situations, we want to make a specific plan to avoid probing because mm -hmm. if it's sloppy estate planning or lazy estate planning, you will end up in probate court over how those assets. Yes. And then what that a goes headache back. having a $3 million estate and then having $300,000 in yes. assets that were left yes. out and your beneficiaries yes. have to go through So probate. my job and any good estate plan attorney's job is to have all of our clients avoid probate. You really never want to end up in probate court. Remember, a trust is saying, we don't need probate. We're going to handle all of this privately. And remember, trusts are private. Probate is not. And that's a key topic too, because someone might want some privacy on these things. Probate is a public court record. So everything in probate is public record. Mm -hmm. Whereas a trust is all private. It only becomes non-private if one of the beneficiary makes a big move and then it will get the court's and there's attention. there's a lawsuit or potential, and it goes potentially to the media if it's a famous family or mm -hmm. very valuable. But so a trust is all private. So, you're, so you want to make a plan saying we don't need this court process at all. We don't need the fees associated with it. We don't need the time associated with it. And we don't need the public record associated with it. We're going to handle it all privately. This is what I want to say earlier. What's so important about trust law, because this is when we talked about the spouses and you're trusting your surviving spouse to not screw over your kids or anything like that, right. which doesn't happen, but there's certain situations where you got to be worried about it. The biggest thing about trust law is the word trust. <laughs> you really want to trust your trustee. You're giving them the keys to the car, Richard. Right. People ask me all the time, I made this trust. What's stopping the trustee from going going to the bank and taking all the money in their name or selling the house and taking all the funds and running off to another country. There's nothing stopping them. Yeah. There's not any. The only thing worth a trust built. Now remember a probate would be under the court supervision mm -hmm. judge. You have eyes all over. You yes. got a whole court on you with the trust. The only eyes on you are the other beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. So they need to keep an eye. So if you're ever, it's not just your trust. If you're a beneficiary to a trust, a family trust or some sort of trust, 
and you're suspicious that you're something's going wrong, you're not getting the money you're supposed to get, mm -hmm. you just have a bad feeling, you definitely want to look into that. Now, the remedy for that if, with trust is lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you can do it's kind of a wrong word because sometimes the trustee's in the wrong, but I like to call it tattling because uh -huh. only tattling will get the attention of the court to see whether there's been monkey business or if everything's going to Got play. it. So you have to, uh, what's, it's called a petition. It's in, you petition the court to look into something or something's gone wrong, whatever your petition is. Mm -hmm. Now do you have court's eyes on it and now we'll see if things were going right or wrong. But what you can do before you go to court, what... Once a year, each beneficiary is entitled to an accounting. Now, that accounting will show each beneficiary where every cent of the trust has gone. There's going to be expenses to hire attorneys, CPAs, costs if you sell real estate to a realtor. There's always going to be ordinary costs that should be made. But was all the money, did it go where it was supposed mm -hmm. to? Was there anything shaving off? Was there right. any? So you want that and you want to know, like back to the fiduciary duty, a trustee has to be, what would Jesus do? <laughs> so if you ask a good trustee what's happening, they should tell you everything. There should be no, now keep in mind, they do have discretion though. They don't owe you an explanation, he or she, the trustee, as to why we're selling the family real estate, investing in this new company, this new stock. Mm -hmm. That's discretionary. They can tell you we're doing it. The beneficiary doesn't have any rights into why we're doing that. However, they have rights to make sure it was done properly. Sure. And a trustee has a, a, a standard to invest properly. So we know markets are subject to change, but if you make a flagrant mistake and why would you, you or he or she would have done that, mm. that could be in lawsuit because you shouldn't have pulled out of the real estate that was so good. You put it in this risky stock. We lost all the money. Now there might not be money to sue over if all the money's gone, but mm -hmm. the beneficiaries can sue for the trustee for not being a prudent investor. So being a trustee, you get the keys to the car, but it's a lot of liability. And I always, I talk to that with clients where they go like this, you know, this sibling's going to be the trustee. And I go, man, that's a lot of pressure on the sibling. And then if they aren't getting along with their brothers and sisters, there's issues with that, which is why, and maybe this is a great topic to wrap up on, yeah. why some people go, I'm not going to name children as trustees. I'm going to name an attorney or a financial advisor or multiple attorneys, or as you mentioned with the Lakers case, do you have an attorney who runs it? And then are there voting rights between yeah. three children? And if it's, you know, two votes against one, then you give, you know, kind of a, a majority rules type thing. So yeah. I, I'm sure there's a million different ways and you go yeah. over all these scenarios with your clients and it really is a deeply personal and customized plan because everyone's family is different. You have one kid, you have three kids, you have no kids, you're married, you're unmarried. Are people getting along? Are they not getting along? Like there are so many factors that you have to go into detail with your clients. Yeah, I'm sorry we brought that up, oh Richard. Gosh. This is a great topic to wrap it, so we'll keep it kind of short, but absolutely. So what you said is so perfectly what you said is how each plan is custom to each family. I say there's never a right or wrong answer. It's what you're most comfortable with, whether that's an individual or whether that's a married couple. It's what you guys or you are most comfortable with. I always say it's your property after all. Now we don't want to be, we don't want to act with malice because we hear about disinheriting. Sometimes there's a good reason. Disinheriting literally means to cut an heir at law, not always your kid, mm -hmm. whoever would have inherited, whether it was probate, sure. to cut them out because yeah. they were set to inherit, but you actually did a document to change that. Right. That's disinheriting. Okay. Sometimes it's for good reason, but I don't like to be the attorney and I might turn down the case if I think they're acting with malice. Mm -hmm. So that means, let's say there's two kids, let's leave 99% to one, 1% to the other. Right. That's... That just feels like an extra slap in the face. I've seen, let's leave them $5, one, at least propose that, I turned mm -hmm. it down. I don't wanna do, but sometimes there's actually a very good reason, so that's why it's, you're probably allows it. So, but back to picking who's trustee, that is so, so crucial. Not just like I said a minute ago, who giving the trust, who's gonna make sure it all goes properly, mm -hmm. but is it gonna create fighting down the road within your family? Right. So if you have two brothers that are set to fight within a with four kids, do you name one of the brothers trustee and just deepen that divide if, gosh, when you hear families that stop talking to each other, more often than not, the most common reason if this was family feud, mm -hmm. the number one reason would, would be a trust gone right? bad. Yeah, of course. so you wanna, plan to minimize any fighting down the road if that's in the family dynamic, but that can be really hard. Sure. You can have the best intentions and really plan it. 
It can fall off the tracks early or you just can't really avoid it. So a lot of times when it's kids, you'll see them have all the kids be co-trustees, mm-hmm. maybe three or four. The problem with that is now they all have to agree. They have to agree, so, a lot of signatures. if they don't, yeah, logistics, sending mm-hmm. documents all over the country, if they live out of states, getting wet signatures on things. But if they don't agree, you just end up right back in court because now they have to petition the court. We can't come to an agreement and the judge will hear both sides. Yeah, and then the it judge will public. So you might have to come right come back. In. So that might defeat the purpose. Mm-hmm. But if you just name one of the kids trustees, the problem with that is now he or she becomes kind of the, they are already, they might have felt slighted to him, the other siblings or her. Now they feel really slighted to him or her, mm-hmm. creates even further division among the siblings. So sometimes they'll actually appoint an out of family trustee. There's trustees for hires. You can do professional. I've heard of them. The problem is those cost money. So do you have to weigh, on the one hand, we're gonna pay money just for a trustee and that's gonna cost money that my beneficiaries would have inherited, but is that worth the fighting? It's a different argument for each family. How good can they get along? Some of my clients make me trustee, believe it or not. They like me, they trust me, and I'm, Remember, your trustees, every trustee has that fiduciary duty. Mm-hmm. So in theory, they're going to act perfect. I'm, what would Jesus do? What would Palmer do? <laughs> what would Brian you do? You could always name me trustee. Uh, I might not always want to be it if it's a really fighting family, but right. that's what I mean. It's the easy stuff is the trust takes care of itself. It's your plan mm-hmm. and who you appoint. That's so important. And I'm happy to, that's what I do. I talk to my, and I'll, I'll wrap it up on that. If you get named a trustee, Richard, it's very overwhelming. So Let's say your parents trust, you're the trustee. Mm -hmm. Trustees, there's a lot they have to do. It's not just all the stuff we've been talking about. There's certain timing deadlines. You Mm -hmm. have to file paperwork with the government, with the state. You have to contact Social Security. You have to contact the recorder's office, the assessor's office. It's all this overwhelming detail. So, so many people that name trustees hire me and I actually become trustee for them and I do all that work so they have the peace of mind knowing they're not missing anything. Right. By the way, that gets paid out of the trust. As an expense. Yes. But it's like you're the assistant or the point guard. But it's it's money so well spent because now there's gonna be no problems or delays down the road with that trust. That costs more money. And so you can if you become a trustee hybrid and what I've been talking today is so much about setting up your own trust, but what I want to end on and what I want to make so clear is really make sure your family members trust. Now, anyone could die any given day. So just because you know we're younger than the older generation doesn't mean we're necessarily there gonna go first. But we wanna make sure those that are older, we have all theirs in line. Your parents, do they own property? Is that mm-hmm. property, what's title like on that? Is title held correctly? Is it subject to probate? Do you need a trust? I'm happy to answer that for any person. I always offer a free consultation. They call me. I have a resource. I'm going to do a name drop. My good buddy, Grant Alley. All right. Introduced to Grant by Richard. He's my title officer. Unbelievable title officer, by the way. He helps a ton in real estate, but people don't realize how much they help in trust law, too. Of course. Not always a sale. It might just be what's how is title held? How do we best plan with this? So he gave me a great tool. I can look up title on the spot. So anyone always feel free to contact me. I will give you a free consultation of how title is held, whether you're subject to probate, if there's a probate issue. But I want people, their parents, their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, I wanna make sure those trusts first are good. And then do your own too, but just make sure everyone's good. You don't wanna end up in probate. Like I said, a million dollar house, $30,000 that could have all been avoided for Mm -hmm. a fraction of the costs Mm -hmm. and it would have been so much easier and I can always help with who should we name trustee? Mm-hmm. Will this cause more fighting? Mm-hmm. There's always this kind of a solution there. So I'm happy to meet with everyone, make a plan. God, I hope I didn't bore everyone, Richard. No, it, dude, we love this. this. Is, um, we, and I love that you dropped Grant because we had Grant on oh, the podcast yeah, a few months ago. Yeah. So well, listeners I, I know Grant. I met Grant through Richard. That's our mutual friend. Great guy. But anyway, me and Grant will tell you right away how titles held. And let's make sure, you know, we, we've been talking about the things of death and it's, it's such a sad reality of life. And there's nothing we can do to change that. We might as well be smart about the legalities. And I want, when, when someone dies in a family, there's so much, your grieving is already overwhelming. And that should be the focal point, the memories and getting through that grief and properly sending off and remembering that person. The last thing you want is a headache of a bunch of legal mess, probate or all this stuff to add on to that already hard time. So let's completely avoid that. I'm here to help. I'll answer any question. Let's get your house in trust. Let's get your parents' house in trust. Let's avoid probate. Now remember, 
Richard, I didn't tell you, probate's better for the lawyers. <laughs> All those fees go to uh, us. Yeah, so, a lot more money So for the, the best thing that can happen is I have someone coming to me with a potential probate, but my whole job for my clients is to avoid probate and their families. Of course. Let's keep it out of the court. The government taxes us enough. Few less dollars to Uncle Sam. <laughs> And uh, God bless America. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Palmer. Well, with that, before we wrap the podcast, you got to give listeners your contact information. How about a phone number, your email, and if you have an Instagram or socials that you want to share, please do. So you can always contact me by text or calling me cell phone, area code 310-984-9070. My email is Brian. Now that's with a Y. Brian at brianpalmerlaw.com, no spaces. My website is in the works. That's been too long. Uh, apologies on that. I get a little busy. They'll with find clients. it on Google. Yes, and, it's and then uh, Instagram, which is actually my. We didn't talk at all about you know business strategies, but sure. I basically launched my whole firm on Instagram. Just I love it. One story at a time. Now I only have so many followers. I'm not exploiting myself to the masses, but it's definitely helped. My Instagram is my full name without a space. Brian Philip Palmer. That's B-R-Y-A-N-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-L-M-E-R. Follow me. I will like to follow you back. I love people. I'm very curious. So uh, contact me. I'd love to hear talk about trust. We could talk about real estate, but I'll probably refer you to my man right here. And then uh, we could talk about life too. So. Let's send Palmer, it's follow also him. It's a philosophy. Send him a DM. You're going to see piano. You're yeah. going to see some estates advice and you're going to see some good real estate. So Brian, thank you again yeah. for joining us. We'll have you back on the show. Yeah. Amazing information. Everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Have a happy summer and we'll see you next time on the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show.